Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Scottish Clans Podcast. This is Clint Edwards, and thank you for joining me again today for story time. You know, it's been a while since we've actually just really dug down into a good story, and I have one for you today. It is the Battle of Knockmary. Also, I don't have a lot of listener feedback. I've checked the Apple Podcast reviews recently, the Podbean app, and the Facebook. And none of them had anything drastically new. I did a few follow-on comments from previous listener feedback. And that was it. Nothing major to report, no questions to answer, nothing huge. I know probably a lot of you are hunkered down right now. We got the whole corona deal going on and I'll tell you right here it's making quite a bit of difference in my life it's maybe affecting my family's travel plans in a couple of weeks we had something we we're looking forward to doing and it might put that on on a hold or it might not I don't know we'll wait to develop the situation a little bit I wish I could see in the future but then again I'm not really sure that I'd like that gift I probably wouldn't leave my house if I knew everything that was going to happen. Anyway, so I'm not leaving my house much these days. We are on a shelter-in-place order here in Monterey County, California. So only the most essential things you should be doing, and when you do that, try not to be around other people while you're doing it. So I got out and got back into some hills with my dog where we got to get away from people and Covered some miles in the back, I wouldn't call it back country because you're not really that far from town. Not like some places are back country around these these parts, around the western United States. And, and some places in the eastern. But there's some really big areas of country out here where you can go for a long time and not see anybody. I wasn't, I wasn't in those places. But I was out where I could get away from people a little bit and get some space and had some good exercise with my... With my black-faced dog, the Malligator. Anyway, her name's Sky, by the way. Sky, as in the Isle of Sky. If I've never mentioned this before, or if I have, and this is the only episode you've ever heard. So, which I thought was appropriate because Sky was named after a woman who I think you would pronounce it somewhere in the ballpark of Skyach, or Skahach, something like that. She was a woman warrior, and so what an appropriate name for a female Belgian Malinois. Anyway, we got some good exercise, and she is racked out right now. Earlier, she was barking in her sleep. That means I gave her some good exercise. So she's happy. I'm happy. And now I'm doing a podcast talking about things I like to talk about. So hopefully everybody's happy right now. And if you're not happy, hopefully things get a little bit better for you as we get into this podcast. And you can just learn some history. Now, the story that I'm going to tell you is not does not end on a terribly positive note. The sides, the two f- competing sides do not put down their arms, shake hands, and walk away and and call it good. But, if you're in for a story, here it is. So, without further ado, let's jump into this. Let's jump into this. Um, the Battle of Knock Mary. Now, I looked up knock, because I, I figured this is probably coming from the Gallic word for hill, and I was thinking, I think you pronounced, I think you pronounced the C, 
it's spelled in in Gaelic. It's spelled C N O C. And I thought so. And anyways, I I tried to do some little searching for things on YouTube. Sometimes when I'm wondering how to pronounce something, I'll try to see if there's anything about it on YouTube, like a place name that I've never, especially when I know that I'm going to be pronouncing it on a podcast. And I found a video from Connacht in the west of Ireland. And the Irish speaker in that was definitely pronouncing the C. So it was Canucksuan, the where the that particular video was taking place. So I think it's pronounced Knock Mary. Now, if you're really going to go authentic with it, it'd be Knock Myra. Or if it's the hill of Mary, Mary's hill, then it would be Knock Wyra or Voira or something close to that. But I'm just going to call it Knock Mary for today because I'm not a Gaelic speaker and I'm not speaking to you in Gaelic. Although sometimes I still like to switch back and use the original pronunciation just because I like it. But I'm not going to with this. It's Knock Mary for today. All right. So this battle took place, or this fight. There was actually, it wasn't just, well, yes, it was this whole scene. It was more than one conflict. But there was a specific battle that was called the Battle of Knock Mary. And it was between the Murrays and the Drummonds, specifically the Murrays of Octotire. Now, let's do a little background on these two clans, all right? We always like to know who's fighting. The Murrays. If you listened to the third, I believe, the third in the series of the earls versus or the clan chiefs versus the earls or the earls earldoms that had the same name as a clan, and kind of unwrapping that a little bit, we mentioned the Murrays as descendants of Freskin de Moravia, a Flemish. Warlord who was given lands in what was Murray, and he begat two different clans that claim him maybe three, maybe more, but for sure two, maybe the Douglases, but we don't not not for sure on that. But the Sutherlands and the Murrays come from this Freskin. Now, there's different stories on where these two clans, the Sutherlands and the Murrays, how they break off from Freskin. He either had three sons or three grandsons. Two of these members of his posterity were William and Hugh. There's also some argument about which one was older, Hugh or William. Now, the Sutherlands were descended from Hugh, and the Murrays were descended from William. Now, it's interesting that the Sutherlands maintained a territory in, up in this area of, well, it would be on the north shore of the Murray Firth, and so there are the Sutherlands of Duffus were on the south of it. And so there's, they've, got, they've got some territory on either side of the Murray Firth, and that is the vicinity of where Freskin really planted his standard. I was up there. He had lands farther south, closer to Edinburgh and Lothian in that area. But he was he became a northern warlord. So the Murrays, their territory tends to be much farther south. I don't know if that has anything to do which, with which one of them was actually descended from the eldest or was the heir to Freskin. I'm not really sure. And that seems like a rabbit hole that I could spend a lot more time going down into than I have. Now, 
one thing that I was reading, there's a source called the Chief Chiefship of the Murrays. Something like that. There's the the Chiefs of the Murrays. I'll I'll see. That's another one of those. Remember, I mentioned before, if you're listening to previous episodes, that you can find a lot of sources on archive.org or com, archive.com, archive.org. I can't remember. I posted links to several different clan histories on there, and I'll bet you could find this. I think that's where I got this PDF on the Chiefs of the Murrays. And in there, and I don't think it was written by Murray's, I think it was written by Fraser's. I believe it was published in the early 1900s. So there's one of my sources about the Murray's, uh, the clan, not about the battle. I'll tell you more about that later. But the, the author of that work said it doesn't really matter which was senior, the Sutherlands or the Murray's, because the Sutherland male line ran out. So after a while... There is still a kindred, as we talked about in that previous episode, that was called the Sutherlands. But after such and such a time, the earldom passed to another clan. First it passed to the, um, well, long story short, eventually it ends up in the hands of the Gordons. And a younger brother of the Earl of Huntley married the heiress to the earldom of Sutherland, his name was Adam, I believe, and he becomes the heir to the Sutherland earldom. Now, there was still a Sutherland kindred, but it looks like, unlike the case with the Rosses, it looks like the Gordons assumed the leadership of that kindred. Anyway, it's not, it's not Sutherland's anymore, whereas the male line of the Murrays persists. And so, where do you go with that? I don't really know. But there's some little background on the, on the Murrays. The Murrays tended to settle farther south. Most of their land, okay, now, a lot of people assume or they affiliate the Murrays with the earldom of Athol. That, they didn't get that earldom and inherit Blair Castle, which is a famous castle. and Famous partly because the Earl of Athol is the commander of the only remaining private stand, standing army in the British Isles. Now, it used to be, back in the days that we're discussing, every chief, well, I should say every major chief of every major kindred had a, his own private army. But today, all that's left of that, the only remnant, is the earldom of Athol, which is the Murrays. Now, they didn't get that, though, until the early 1600s, first half of the 1600s. So it's, so it's about 100 years, slightly more than 100 years, after what we're, to, we're with the story I'm going to tell you. Now, the story, just while I'm thinking of it, make sure I don't skip it, takes place in either 1490 or 1511. We're not sure. And you can probably dig farther down into that and different arguments why they look at the two different dates, but it's only about a 20, 21 year spread difference, and so it's in the same general era. All right, it's within a generation. The same people would have been alive. You, you could have had... Anyway, you get what I'm saying. So, so, the, so the Murrays don't become the Earls of Athol. The Murray chiefs don't become the Earls of Athol until over 100 years after this story takes place. So they weren't... I don't know how well established they were that far north where Blair Castle is. Blair Castle is, 
is if, for those of you who are not familiar with Scottish geography, it's comfortably into the Eastern Highlands. It's not out on the border. Now, the rest of the Murray Territory looks like, and I pulled my trusty handy clan map out, which is, once again, I've said it before, I'll say it again, it's only accurate for a certain time period, which in this particular map's case, and I think a lot of you may have seen this map before, it's been very common, you can find it really easy on a Google image search, but I've actually got a, a hard copy and I've had it on my wall for years. In fact, I got it while I was a senior in high school, so when I first came by it. And it's good for like the latter quarter, maybe, maybe latter half of the 1500s. So it's later down the road, but I think that the Murray Drummond territory that shows on it is pretty close would be pretty close to what we'd see in our time period. The, the Murray territory tends to be on the southern fringe of the highlands. Okay, now, so I don't, I don't know if there are more important things on the Murray background. Their descendants from Freskin to Moravia. Don't get too wrapped around the axle, for the, especially for those of you who are like, oh, I'm totally into Celtic stuff, and that guy was a Frisian. Look, two things about that. Why... why First of all, Frisians were cool, and they're cool now, and there's nothing wrong with being a Frisian. But if you're not excited about being a Frisian, you're excited about the Celtic stuff, the the, the, the Gales and the Highlands and that stuff. So two, two things to keep consider. First of all, it didn't take very long for these Norman or Flemish or Frisian. Flemish, I've been saying Frisian, I think, but Flemish. It didn't take very long for these Flemish and Normans to become absorbed into the local culture. Now, what that was depends on what part of Scotland you're in. But when they first arrived, the Gallic language predominated. It was all over. In fact, it was probably very close to its height during the 1100s when a lot of these families from the south were becoming established in Scotland. So they they assimilated very quickly, and a few generations later, they're, they're Gallic speakers if they're in that part of Scotland, which this is a Gallic-speaking part of Scotland when Freskin settles there. So there's that one. They, so you've been speaking your, your bloodline before you emigrated or whatever else happened, and they left the, the area of the Gaeltacht. They've been speaking Gaelic for generations. The other thing is, how how often do they intermarry with local Gaelic families? Probably a lot. And I've actually started a couple of years ago doing a little project. I was making a spreadsheet and tracking through different chiefs, you know, over a certain time period, who they were marrying, and see if there's trends where Highland, where certain clans, they tend to marry within other Highlanders, or did they marry in the lowlands? Or was it whoever would bring in more territory? Or what do we see trend-wise in that? And I haven't I haven't established really the results of that yet. So I'm I'm gonna hold back any conclusions. But in many cases, these newcomers are intermarrying with local families, especially aristocratic families, because it legitimized their leadership. Because remember, you gotta you gotta start getting your kin base, because it's a kin-based society. So you got to start developing your kindred and becoming established. And one way to have that happen more quickly in a kin-based society was to intermarry locally. So there's that. So by two, three, four hundred years later, our, your your Flemish blood is pretty diluted, and your most your your DNA is looking a lot is looking pretty local. 
All right. So I don't know if that's worth anything to you. And, and for maybe a lot of you, it doesn't even matter. But there's that. There's just some thoughts. Now, speaking of where you come from and what group you're descended from, the situation with the Drummonds is pretty interesting. So let's talk about some Drummond background. And then we'll get to the story, all right? We want to talk about some clans, some clan stuff. We'll talk about some clans, backgrounds, facts, and then we'll get to cool stories. Um, the Drummonds, and I don't know when this story started, when it was first claimed or written down, but eventually the story was passed around that the Drummonds were descended from a Hungarian, a Hungarian prince who came... There was an English princess who had to take refuge in Hungary, and she made it back to the British Isles and eventually married the Scottish king. Now, and this would have been Malcolm Canmore. The legend goes that Malcolm Canmore gave this Hungarian traveler, part of this princess's entourage, gave him some land there in Scotland, and from him descend the Drummonds. There's all sorts of, sorts of weird things I read about how you get the name Drummond from this guy, and and so, well, what if wouldn't Hungarian DNA look different than Scottish DNA? Absolutely it was. And so I tried looking up some Drummond DNA on this issue, and I didn't find anything, but I did. I did post a link on the Scottish clans group on Facebook. I've been threatening to do it for a long time, but I did create a Scottish clans Facebook group. So if you've, you're dialed in on the Facebook page, the problem with the page, as I've said before, is you can't. Everybody can't see your post. You can't develop your own conversation. And I got to act as the middleman on all that stuff. So I went. And cross over to group. It only took me a few minutes. I don't know why I didn't do it sooner, but um, now you can go on there. That's where all the webs, the uh, sorry, the podcasts will be posted there. Anyway, I posted a link to a Family Tree DNA webpage, and there's a little history that's given, and what this guy who's researched it a lot more than I have, he gives you his take on the whole Hungarian origin story. I mean, long story short, he's not having it, and to be honest with you, there's not a lot of proof that they are descended from the Hungarian, and as time went on, we see this Hungarian become just a member of the entourage to a prince in his own right, and we start developing his backstory, and it's really all just lore that was, from what I can tell, guys, I wasn't there, but from my meager, meager sources on this uh, on this subject, um, it, it looks like this is just stuff that's made up later. All right, so drums. So where do the drums come from, if not then? And, and if not this Hungarian gentleman? Well, let me make sure I've got my notes in front of me. So the first recorded member of the family was Malcolm Begg. Little Malcolm, or sometimes this term is used as Malcolm Jr. Beg means little, but it can also mean junior. He was a chamberlain to the Earl of Lennox and married his daughter sometime before 1260. All right, so if we take that date and we just look back and says, who was the Earl of Lennox at the time? Now, later, in, in times where 
you know, Queen Mary and the Earl of Lennox, and there's a lot of drama and some battles, the Battle of Langside, and the, the Earls of Lennox are in the 1500s playing a pretty big part in Scottish politics and, and national history. But at that time, they were all Stuarts and had been for a while. This is the previous... Now, the Stuarts obtained the Earldom of Lennox through marriage, kind of like the Gordons with the Earldom of Sutherland and a lot of other cases, too. There's an heiress, the male line ran out, and actually, this is kind of like a little side story here, because it's kind of interesting. The McFarlands descend from, in the male line, the early Earls of Lennox, and they did put up a fight when, of course, the king, who also happens to be Stuart, grants his kinsman the Earldom of Lennox. You know, oh, you got this guy's got a claim, and these guys got a claim, and I don't know. Do things usually descend in the male line or the female line? Let's give it to the Stuarts. Like nobody could see that coming. When anyway, and I can't remember how closely related because this is kind of a little bit of a tangent, but it's it's related to Scottish clans and to the Drummonds, kind of. Anyway, so the McFarlands for for I don't know how many years. They just pretty much tried to make everything miserable for the Earl of Lennox. Stole cattle, raids, whatever they did. And the McFarlands have kind of a reputation in this category. And so things kind of sucked for the Earl of Lennox as far as the McFarlands. Were, they were not friends. Now, the Stuarts were a much more powerful kindred, right? They got the king in their clan, who would really be the senior representative of the clan. Anyway, they're the ruling clan of the whole country. You can look at it like that. So how are you going to win against that? And I don't know that they, the McFarlands ever came out in open, like, no kidding, we're going to destroy you guys. They just tried to make life suck for them. And so eventually this was patched up through intermarriage between the McFarlands and the, the Stuarts. And after this we see that the Stuart Earls of Lennox had no more, after this marriage took place, no more faithful followers than the McFarlands. And in fact, we see the Stuarts fighting Stuarts, right? You have the, the royal Stuarts fighting the Stuart Earls of Lennox, and we have the Mary Queen of Scots, and the, her, her big, Mary Queen of Scots' biggest enemies within her own country were her, her own kinsmen, the Stuarts. Anyway, you have the Battle of Langside. The McFarlands took the side of Lennox, and that one against the Mary Queen of Scots, they were... Anyway, I'll, I'll tell a story about that sometime in the future. That may be worth a whole other podcast, and I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole, but just know that the Stuarts get that. The Drummonds, where they tie into the Earls of Lennox, was the old, the old original Earls of Lennox. All right? And who would be the Earl of Lennox at the time? If, if the Malcolm Begg, if he married a daughter of the Earl of Lennox, whose daughter did he marry? This would have either been... Muldonach or Malcolm I. And sometimes Muldonach is anglicized as Malduin, but Muldonach is what, it even has the Wikipedia article in English, actually has the Gaelic form of his name. So it's one of those two. Date-wise, it had to be one of those two. And I'm not sure which one it was, and it didn't give a lot of detail other than her name was Ada. Anyway, so he marries into the Lennox family, and this means that the Earl of Lennox, oh, scratch that, that was, uh, got lost in my notes there. So here's an item of note that you'd be interested in. 
Having married into the family of the Earl of Lennox, it's not surprising to find the Drummonds following Robert Bruce, or Robert the Bruce, as the Earls of Lennox were among his early supporters. Now keep in mind, when, um, he, he, when Robert the Bruce suffers defeat, if any of you have seen Outlaw King, you've seen this. Remember, they're in the camp. I, I, now, once again, this is, I'm just freewheeling it here. Battle of Methven. Was that the one that the uh, the English caught him and, and and beat him pretty good? Anyway, and he's falling back and he's retreating into the highlands. Now, keep in mind, Robert the Bruce. This goes back, kind of ties into my earlier point with Freskin becoming his family would have been Gallicized pretty quickly. The Bruce, despite being Normans, Robert the Bruce. Any scholar that I've ever read on him, he was probably a Gallic speaker. His mother was from an old Gallic line from the Earls of Carrick, and he was that part of Scotland where the Bruces were from, in south, the very southwest, down in Galloway and Carrick and that whole area down there. That was Gallic speaking at this time. So we're talking late 1200s, late 1200s, almost to the turn of the century. And so he's probably a Gallic speaker. And so he pushes farther back into the highlands and he gets bushwhacked by the McDougals, nearly loses his life there and every guy that he was with. But he and a handful of others make it out. And part of their escape route goes right through the Earldom of Lennox. In fact, they had to row across the Loch Lomond, which Loch Lomond kind of forms the heart of the Earldom of Lennox as a geographical area. And so... The to see that, and I, I only bring this up to show you how staunchly supportive the Earls of Lennox were of Robert the Bruce. Well, we also, when the Drummonds claim that, hey, we supported Robert the Bruce, well, you know what? After he's the winning side and centuries later, everybody helped Robert the Bruce, right? Except for the clans who clearly did not, like the McDougals, like the Cummins, a handful of others. But anybody who who could even claim to Claims to. Every clan claims that they're at Bannockburn on the side of Robert the Bruce. Well, what about when Robert the Bruce wasn't in power? So we're talking about the hardcore supporters here, and the Drummonds were among those earlier supporters. They didn't wait until they could see that he was clearly going to win. And and I guess what I'm bringing that up is that the reason behind that was probably because the Drummond kindred had married into the Lennox, the Earls of Lennox, and probably allied themselves with that more powerful kindred. And the side that they took would be the side that the Drummonds took. Anyways, that's kind of interesting. It's a little background on some of the major historical, Scottish national historical events and the Drummond involvement there. Their last name, actually linguistically, where does the name come from? Uh, it probably descends from the Gallic word for ridge, which is drum or drummond without the D on the end. Once again, we're adding Ds, 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 all the time. McDonald, uh, Ronald. Uh. Anyway, Drummond comes from the, probably comes from the Gallic word for ridge. In fact, there's a town not very far from Drummond territory that's called uh, Dryman. It looks like how it's pronounced on a map. I don't really know how it's pronounced there, but um, it might, it's probably coming from the same, and it's not very far from their territory, so we're looking at some similar things going on here. Where was the territory? Drummond Castle is famous for this beautiful, do a Google image search for Drummond Castle and look at those gardens. It's really cool. Anyway, 
I guess I could probably go on and on and on about the Murrays and the Drummonds and where they come from, but let's see where they tie together as far as this is concerned. One thing I did think was interesting as setting up the the geography of this story, Murray territory is both to the north and to the south of the Drummond territory. Because keep in mind that the clan territories weren't all contiguous. It wasn't just one big blob, and then outside of that was not that clan, and inside this whole area was that clan. Look, these these clans, the chiefs, they were opportunistic. If they had a chance to acquire this piece of property over here, that was completely, in some, place, some cases, not even in the same general vicinity as their clan heartland. I mean, look at the Campbells. They acquire the the Luden down in south south uh, well, kind of southwest Scotland, southern Scotland. It's in the Lowlands, south of Glasgow. But then they also get the the inherit Cotter. So you have the Campbells of Cotter, and that's way up by the Murray Firth. And neither one of those is really close to the original Campbell homeland. So you have the Murray territory that's got a patch here and a patch there, and right in between, you have Drummond territory, which is interesting. Especially when we talk about who was fighting here. Now, we're going to focus in on the Murrays of Octotire. Now, what were they doing to start this fight? Well, the Murrays of Octotire were working. They are doing some, some, some chores for the Abbot of Inchifray. Now, why were they working for him? I don't know. It's something for you to find out. If you're interested in this, go search it out. Or if you already know, go to the Scottish Clans Facebook group and post it on there for everybody to see. Not like you could do before, but you can't do it now because it's a group, not a page. So, yeah, the Murrays are working for the Abbot of Interfray, and they are collecting either a debt or rent from the Drummonds. The Drummonds, the Abbot of Interfray, understood the Drummonds to owe him something. And he sent the Murrays out to collect it. Now, what's the backstory? Because the, the way that they collect this stuff is what starts the fight. And I don't know, it doesn't, so let me go let's talk about sources real quick. On the actual battle, like you can find all sorts of background on Drummonds and Murrays, and, and not a lot of it could I find online, especially as it related to this battle. So I'm going, I got to confess, I'm going a lot off the, the Wikipedia article. The sources that it cited were not, I couldn't access them, that actually give details of the battle. I couldn't access them. It was, there's one book, I guess it's a book called The Drummonds, but it, I couldn't get it through the internet. So anyway, the um, what's what is the backstory here? The Murrays collecting rent or a debt for the Abbot of Inchifray from the Drummonds. They they collected it in the form of cattle. But why why do we start a fight? So I, I was thinking there's only there's a few options that we could look at. Did the Murrays need to collect by force because the Drummonds were unwilling to pay up? Was the debt disputed by the Drummonds? Did the Drummonds not believe that they owed the abbot anything? Or were they late on it? Had they, were they in a pickle financially and they just couldn't afford to part with cattle or money or anything? I don't know. Or were the Murrays just being jerks? Was the abbot of Inchifray the real jerk? I don't know. Now, the Murrays had murdered some people previous to this. I, I'm actually not sure if it's previous to this or if it's part of the story. That was, a little bit, was, that was unclear. However, the, the Murrays went about collecting this and they, they 
grabbed cattle. They paid. They brought the payment back to the abbot of Inchifray in cattle. How there's something about the way they did that that fired up the Drummonds. Now, if you're if you're looking at a map, Oxfordshire is not. It's only a, just a short distance, a few miles maybe, to the north of Drummond Castle. Now, the Drummond Castle was at this time probably being constructed or just barely constructed. So I don't know if the if this is the Drummond's main base or if that was farther to the east in Stovall, which was where the Drummonds were originally. That's that was their headquarters, their 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 HQ before this, their stronghold, whatever you want to call it. That was the place of residence for the chiefs of the Drummonds before this battle and before the Drummond Castle was completed. And we're right, like I said, we're right in about the time period where it's hard to tell whether the Drummonds were in the castle yet and that was their base or not. But it's really not far from the Murrays of where, what is considered Octotire. All right. So you have the battle. Now, here's what I don't know about who was on each side. You got the Drummonds, and the Drummonds were not... The Drummonds seem to be kind of like the McFarlands. They don't have territory all over Scotland. You kind of have this country there that's Drummond territory, and then that's it. Uh, unlike the Murrays, who you got some territory here, some territory there, surrounding the Drummonds. And so I don't really know how many of the Drummond branches were involved in this. You have Drummonds of, Ab I think it was Drummonds of Abercarney, which would have been a branch by now, I think. Like I said, the, the, the Murrays, oh, sorry. I've got my, my clans mixed up there. You have the, the Drummonds are all one, and I can't think of a bunch of other branches that the Drummonds have, but you have the Murrays of Octretire, you have the Murrays of Abercarney, which is not very far to the east. You have the Murrays of Tullibardine, now, the Murrays of Tullibardine are the, sing, are the senior branch of the Murrays. And they were, this is the senior line as coming from Freskin and still represented and recognized by the Murrays as their head, the Murrays of Tullibardine, which is south of Drummond Territory. But it's not very far. All this is not very far, big distances. And I guess so. what, what, what I don't know is the, the, battle, the, the tale of the battle only mentions the Murrays of Oxertire. But everything's so close that could other branches be there? Possibly. Now, why is that relevant? Well, first of all, it's just interesting to know who's part of the fight. But second of all, we're talking about numbers on each side. How many people did the Murrays have versus how many people did the Drummonds have? I don't know that answer. But I do know some more facts that will relate to that. At first, the battle was pretty even, and it was hard for either side to really gain a significant advantage over the other. Does that mean that the that there's a couple things that could mean? It could mean that the numbers were just equal, or it could mean that one side or the other was inferior numbers, but either was using better tactics, found better ground to fight from, found some sort of advantage to even out the number disparity. I don't know which one of those it was, but let's just say it was the numbers. I don't know. If the, if, so it was going back and forth pretty evenly until, until, my, my, I think my dog is sprinting in her dreams because she's all sorts of twitching up right now. 
anyway, it was distracting. I looked over there, and there she is, kind of, kind of running. Anyway, maybe she's part of the Battle of Nochmeri in her dreams. She's reliving a past life. I don't know. So, the battle's going back and forth very evenly until some friends of the Drummonds show up. Now, who are these friends of the Drummonds? Well, the Wikipedia article, once again, I'm confessing, pretty much just going off the Wikipedia article, but I thought it was a cool story, and I want to talk about it. So I'm not going to let that slow me down. So the, the Campbells of Dunstaffnage formed the core of this party that was showing up. Now, this is an interesting thing, why they were showing up. It might f- shed some light on how this fight actually started. Campbells of Dunstaffnage. Now, the Campbells were given Dunstaffnage by Robert the Bruce. So that's right there. That should so th- we're in the right around the turn of the late 1400s, early 1500s century there. So we're talking about 200 years earlier, roughly. Robert the Bruce took Dunstaffnage, which was built by the McDougals, but keep in mind they sided against Robert the Bruce. And when he became king, and now he's the top dog, he remembered very well who sided against him and who helped him out. And you suffered or benefited accordingly. The Campbells, under Neil Campbell, were one of the, through thick and thin, supporters of Robert the Bruce. And they were rewarded with that castle at Dunstaffnage, which used to belong to the McDougals. And so you have a line of them being settled there for quite some time. Now, it says that the D- Campbells of Dunstaffnage were led to this fight to help out the Drummonds by Duncan. I could not find who Duncan was. I looked through the Campbells who were the leaders at Dunstaffnage, the leaders of that branch of the Campbell clan. Now, the, the, keep in mind, here's what I, just a little detail that just is nagging in my brain right now. The person who, the Campbell, who was put in charge of Dunstaffnage Castle, was not the chief, Neil, or his son. It was a, a man by the name of Arthur. And the Mac Arthurs are very closely tied to, they're, they are considered, and if you go back to my clan clusters episode on the Campbells, I talk about this in a little more detail. So were, were these MacArthur Campbells or that they, they, most of them settled down in Strucker. Anyway, they trace their line back to an Arthur Campbell who was given Dunstaffnage. I, any, one, one way or the other, I could not figure out who this Duncan is. He's, he's, I don't think he's the chief of the Campbells of Dunstaffnage of that branch of the clan. However, often it wasn't, the chief didn't always lead their men in every fight they got in. And if you've seen Outlander, that, that's actually portrayed in there. You have the chief of the Mackenzies, Colum, I think was his name. And then you have Dougal, his brother, and he's the guy that Colum puts in charge of all things military. He's the one that leads the, the Mackenzie clan. And so, not that that is actually the names and the people of the real Mackenzie history, but it illustrates the point. Um, with the Campbells, going back to them... The, they had somebody like this on the, on the macro level. So think of the Campbells as, as the whole, all of the Campbells. The Earl of Argyle would put the Campbell of Auchenbreck, I believe it was. It was either Auchenbreck or Ard Kingless, but I think it was Auchenbreck. He was the one, maybe it was Ard Kingless, one of those two. You can go look it up. 
were put in charge of the military training and leadership of the Campbells in battle, in actual battle, training and actual fighting. That was their deal. So we could do that looking at a micro level within a branch of the clan. So if you had a le uh, the head of the Campbells of Dunstaffnage, which is, by the way, it's over in the Dunstaffnage over on the west coast, very far west, over in what, what the old area that they called Lorne. It's over in that, not very far from Denali Castle, which is still a McDougal, or was still a McDougal stronghold. Um, that's where they're coming from. Just to give you, if you don't know all these places, I just include that. West Coast Campbells, nor farther farther out. Um, so Duncan could be a relative of the chief who they put in charge to lead this group to go down and fight. So they get there. They also have with the Campbells of Dunstaffnage are the McRobbies of Balach, which is very near Drummond Castle. Um, so anyway, that's the vicinity that the that the McRobbies are coming from. So they are more more of a local clan getting into this fight on the side of the Campbells. And I don't know what the connection is between McRobbies and the Campbells and why they're coming with the Campbells. There's another kindred who I've never heard of before reading about this called the Fakenies of Argyle. No idea who these people are. First time I've ever seen the name. Under D Campbell of Dunstaffnage. And this, the arrival of the Campbells, the McRobbies, and the, and the Fakenies turns the tide of the battle. The Murrays can see that everything's just going south for them. So they, now I'm not going to say that the Murrays retreated, but I will say that they, they bounded back to a superior, superior fighting position, which happened to be a church. You know, there are just things, the way you say things in the military. Sometimes to say we retreated uh, doesn't have a great sound to it, especially if you're in that force. You know, we didn't retreat. We fell back to a superior fighting position. It's kind of like if you're outnumbered and surrounded. You're not outnumbered and surrounded. You're in a target-rich environment. There's something for you to remember. Anyway, the Murrays, whatever term you want to use, left the battlefield heading farther north back to where their territory was. And where did they retreat to? The, a church in a place called Monzivard, right on the north shore of Loch Monzivard. And that's where they decided to... Now, okay, look. Okay, they did not retreat or fall back to a f superior fighting position. But there's some logic here, thinking maybe if we get inside what we would consider holy ground, they'll leave us alone. Okay, that worked at first. They all retreated. They run in this church, or kirk, as they call it in the lowlands of Scotland, which this is all taking place right on the borders, right on the edge of the highland lowland line here. Probably at this time it was a Gaelic-speaking area. But they take, they, they take refuge in the church hoping that there's some kind of sense of the sacred among the Drummonds, the Campbells, and others, and that they'll leave them alone if they're in there. And guess what? They were right. They, the, the Drummonds, the Campbells are like, okay, we, A, we've already taught them a lesson. And I don't know how many Murrays had to die before they decided to, to retreat and try to get back to their own territory. But I'm sure that a few did die. And so, okay, if you're a Drummond, you're a Campbell, they're in a church. We don't really like burning churches around here, although it had been done in Scotland. 
And for those of you who think the Campbells have a monopoly on atrocity in Scotland, you are wrong. There's been some ugly, ugly things happen in all over Scotland. And in this case, the Campbells decide, and the Drummonds, and everybody that's with them decide, hey, we're just going to walk away from this one. We've taught them a lesson. We whipped them. And they're on sacred ground right now, so we're not going to... We're just going to walk it away. We've, we've proved the point. Don't come steal our cattle. Oh, one, one little detail I might want to mention. Why, was, why were the camels even there? Because the Murrays had murdered the two brothers-in-law and father-in-law of the Campbells of Dunstaffnage. So are we seeing a pattern with the Murrays? And I don't know if the murders occurred while they were stealing the Drummond's cattle. Or if this is a completely unrelated incident. But if it was an unrelated incident, we could, but it was fairly recently, we can kind of see a pattern here, right? Now, am I, look, if you're a Murray and you got some, you're getting your feelings hurt a little bit, I'm not trying to do that. The Murrays at this time, at this place, these specific branch of Murrays, not all Murrays, may have been a little less concerned with the value of human life. Now, that wouldn't make them alone or peculiar in Scotland, but it did say murder, not in, a, not in an attack, not in a fight, and that's, even amongst fairly violent societies, that is considered different than, you know, murdering somebody is considered different than, you know, you just, you got in a fight, and both of you were after it, and one guy came up the loser, and one guy came up the winner, and the loser died. That's, they, they look, they differentiate there. And so, that's why the Campbells were there, and I don't know what that teaches us about the Murrays, and about how they were handling the whole cattle collection from the Drummonds. So, I don't know. There's a lot, a lot of gaps in this, and I'm trying, as I tell the story, to point out where some of these gaps are. Okay, so they take refuge in the church. And the Drummonds, the Campbells, are like, we taught them a lesson. Let's, okay, let's go, go back home and call it a day. Until some knucklehead in the church lets an arrow fly and kills one of the Campbells. A poorer decision could not have been made by the Murrays at this time. And it wasn't made by all the Murrays. It was one guy. One guy, one arrow... One guy, it's a sore loser, and I get it. My, <laughs> my dad. I'm talking about sports now. Okay, I'm completely. I'm not talking about living and dying. I'm talking about sports. But my dad says, who's who was a athlete his whole life growing up, and well into his adult life, still competes in team roping. And he's he's just competitive. And he's lived his whole life in a competitive world. He said, show me a guy who's a good loser, and I'll show you a guy who loses a lot. <laughs> now, look, I know my dad. He's not all about being stupid when you lose, like completely lose. He just says it's not, it's not okay to be okay with losing. But you don't – he would never condone playing the fool after a basketball game, starting a fight because you lost. He'd never, he would never back that up. But I just think it's an interesting phrase. Now, going back to this story, this was taking it, I mean, catastrophic results from this decision. That one Murray inside the church who happened to be by a window 
and lets an arrow loose and kills a Campbell while they're walking away after deciding not to burn the whole church down with all the Murrays in it. Well, guess what? That decision was reversed as soon as Duncan Campbell watched one of his guys fall to an arrow let fly from the church. Now look, having served overseas and the rules of engagement over there, we don't, look, We there's some sort of cultural sensitivity we tried to maintain for, for a couple of different reasons. One, because that's just the, the moral high ground that we've decided to take. And number two, and I'm, I'm not talking strategic, I'm not getting a national policy, and oh yeah, well over in Afghanistan this happened. And I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking American forces, the, especially on a normal level, not echelons above reality, we don't like destroying churches and other sacred things that are sacred to other people. We like to find the bad guys, either kill them or capture them, and get the mission done. However, if we are taking fire from a mosque or a church or a cemetery or some other sacred place, we always reserve the right to defend ourselves. And we don't have any problems if we're taking fire from one of those types of places to just light it up. Okay, well, literally, that's what the Campbells do here. Duncan Campbell has a man go down with an arrow shot from a church from a group of people he just decided not to massacre. Well, guess what? He changed his mind. There's this guy lying dead on the ground with an arrow through him. He turns the whole group around. Now, when I say he turns the whole group around, I can only speak for the Campbells. And I don't even know how many of the Campbells, how many people does it take to light a church on fire? I don't know. Do you got to lay down suppressive fire as you come up to the church for your guys to light? I don't know, but they lit that church on fire. And the, and the Drummonds, as far as we can tell, were not involved in that part of this operation. Campbell, Duncan Campbell took it personally that they took a shot at his guys while they were walking away after letting them live. Went back there, burned the whole thing to the ground, and estimated deaths from this are 120 to 140. Catastrophic consequences because one guy made a bad, bad decision. Oh. Anyway, this came down on who? For the massacre of a bunch of Murrays in a church, which is called the Massacre of Monzivard. Who who takes the heat for this? You know who doesn't take the heat for this? Duncan Campbell or any of the other Campbells. You know who does take the heat for this? The Drummonds. I can't remember what the exact penalty was. I can probably find it pretty quick. But doesn't this just doesn't isn't isn't this just par for course? That uh, no matter how hard Drummond the uh, the Drummond chief argued that he didn't have anything to do with it. It, it didn't it didn't matter um, the aftermath I'm just reading straight from the Wikipedia article William Drummond was arrested and despite his protest that the Drummonds had nothing to do with the fire he was executed at Sterling along with many of his friends oh oh this is just ugly isn't it isn't it just ugly now here's the deal. Let's go back to the why didn't why didn't the chief of the Drummonds, William Drummond, why didn't he just let it go? Okay, we lost a few cattle. Well, here's the deal. 
Amongst this society, this this clan society now, I know that I mentioned this is just slightly out of the highlands. Both the Murrays and the Drummonds had territory that encompassed into the highlands, even though Drummond Castle, Octartire, Tullibardine, none of those places are in the mountains. Unless you, if you're looking at a geographical map of Scotland, and the the Highland, it's a it's a fault line that clearly demarcates. You can clearly see where the edge of the mountain it almost runs in a straight line from the bottom edge of Loch Lomond up to about Stonehaven on the east coast of Scotland. You can almost draw a straight line, and then the mountains just stop right along that line. So we're, we're, this whole story takes place right along that line. But on the other side, on the lowland side of that line, there still are a range of hills, which would make a, a valley out of this whole, or a strath out of this whole thing. In fact, it would be Strathairn, where all this is taking place. The River Air, the strath being a Gaelic for a river valley. And, yeah, so that's where all this is taking place. You can look up all these places I've mentioned online and kind of find out where this is taking place. So in this, what I'm saying is in Highland culture and why that would matter, like was it the same in Lowlands as it was in Highlands, maybe down the borders. I'm not sure if the rest of the Lowlands, and that goes farther into my comparison and contrast of what a clan looked like and how, how they operated in different regions of Scotland. But amongst Highlanders specifically, the, the cattle raid was a way of probing your neighbor. It had a lot of functions. You have a coming-of-age chief he's either the chief or he's a tanished which is the the uh the next guy designated to take over as the chief when the chief dies and he's got to prove himself to the men that he will be leading in the future or is, has begun to lead already and so he's the one thing that they do was go on a cattle raid i don't know if this has anything to do with what the murrays were doing with the drummonds as far as i know it was completely on orders from the abbot of inchifray and didn't have anything to do with that but here's the deal if you are the the party that is losing cattle, you, and especially you as the leader of the kindred, of the clan, you are in a position where you have to make a decision. Because that that is not just a way for the coming-of-age tanished or chief to prove his valor to the men he will be leading, but it's also a probe. How strong are our neighbors? If they don't retaliate, why are they not retaliating? Are they not re prepared to retaliate? Are they weak? What's going on over there? Because this might interest neighboring clans. And so if the Drummond, if William Drummond doesn't act on this, if he just decides to let bygones be bygones, oh, you know those Murrays. You know how they are. If he takes an approach like that, there's, there's catastrophic consequences possibly for his clan. And I'm not talking about, well, I mean, it could involve loss of life, but one, it could mean further depredations and more severe depredations by the neighbor, in this case, the Murrays, or perhaps another clan that neighbors it learns of this and like, oh, we might have low-hanging fruit here to pick from the, from the Drummonds because the Murrays just went in there and ate their lunch and they didn't do anything about it. So let's see what else we can get away with. So it might be the Murrays or it might be some other neighboring clan. And the other thing that might happen is William Drummond, as, as the head of the kindred, loses confidence among his men. That's a bad, bad deal if you're the chief, to lose the confidence of your men. So 
he just letting the Murrays not not taking not making a fight out of this was not an option in this culture in this kind of a society at this time in this place so anyway there's there's just some cultural aspects that surround the Battle of Knockmary and the following massacre of Monzivard and it's just I mean as I look at William Drummond's executed several of his close friends are executed for for doing what they didn't start the fire that was the Campbells. But when the chief of all the Campbells is the Earl of Argyle, pretty powerful. I don't know. Was he the Earl of Argyle yet? Was he made Earl yet? That'd be something for you to look up. That's just a question that crossed my mind. Was he the Earl yet? Anyway, does the Campbells didn't have anything done to them. But the Drummonds took the heat. The senior leaders of the Drummond clan lose their lives. I don't know if all of them, but William Drummond and some of his close friends die for this. For doing what? For for defending their land, their territory, the duchas. I'll get into the duchas concept some other time. We've talked about it before, but maybe it's worthy of a whole episode. Anyway, there, there's the story of the Battle of Knockmary and the following Massacre of Monsivard. Thank you for joining me today. I'm going to wrap this up. So if you want to talk about this further, you've got more details to add that I, that I missed or maybe questions, please let me know. Um, you can go, uh, please, get, please, uh, this, so this episode will be posted on the, I will post it on both the Scottish Clans Facebook page and the group, as well as, um, so you can, you can interact with me on either of those forums, but let's start bringing it over to the group, so that, so that everybody can see the comments, and you guys can start interacting with each other. Also, um, you can go to the Podbean app, or the podbean.com. I think it's Scottish Clans forward slash podbean.com, if I am correct. And then, and I don't have a cool website for the, uh, the Scottish Clans Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash Clans of Scotland. But the, uh, the Facebook group is just some sort of weird, long, doesn't make any sense, a bunch of numbers and groups slash stuff 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 so just look for the scottish clans group i actually tried this out i got on facebook and just in the search bar typed in scottish clans i found both the page and the group pretty easy so hopefully that works out for you if you want to interact give me some feedback questions comments um another third platform aside from podbean and facebook is the apple podcasts reviews go ahead leave me a good review and in the comments that you can make along with your review Go ahead. Tell me what you think. Tell me what you think. What do you like? What do you don't like? Um, what you want to see in the future? Keep in mind with those requests for future episodes, this is not a podcast version of the Colin Scottish Clans and Families Encyclopedia. So it's not just a place to Oh, this episode is on this clan, and this episode is on this clan. Yes, we have episodes on clans, but usually it's something very specific about that clan, not a general history, because you can get that pretty easy. That's not where I provide value. Usually it's going to be something very specific. In this case, the Drummonds, the, the Murrays of Oxertire, maybe other branches were involved, maybe not, I don't know. Um, and we see them specifically as it relates to their fighting with each other at the Battle of Knockmary. Or Knockvaira. However, thank you for joining me today, and I hope to hear from you. I've really enjoyed your feedback, and in, and I'm going to find some cool, witty Gaelic 
thing to, to sign out with because I always feel weird at this point and other people that have other podcasts have something cool and I don't have something cool. I'll figure it out. But until then, goodbye. <laughs>